Hey, podcast listeners, thanks for streaming today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory is a nonprofit ministry featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Robert Jeffress. Our mission is to pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word through the most effective media available, like this podcast. To support Pathway to Victory, go to ptv.org podcast and click the donate button or follow the link in our show notes. Now, here's today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. This is Robert Jeffress. In response to the horrific attack on Israel, I've written a brand new book called Are We Living in the End Times? Go to ptv.org to order your copy. Now, some Christians believe that the rapture of the church and the second coming are all the same thing. It's the same event described in a different way. May I remind you that just because some things are similar doesn't mean they're the same. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, on any given Sunday, you might hear your pastor proclaim, Jesus is coming back again. And that is absolutely true. But perhaps it would be more accurate to say this, Jesus is coming back again twice. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress examines the two distinct visits that Jesus will make to earth before the world ends. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. When was the last time you treated yourself to a fully relaxing vacation? Well, I'd love for you to join us on the luxurious Pathway to Victory cruise to Alaska this summer. The dates are June 15th through 22nd. I guarantee that you'll return home well-rested and refreshed and spiritually encouraged. Plus, you'll have a whole new respect for God's magnificent creation. Along the way, we'll be visiting quaint ports of call such as Ketchikan and Alaska's capital, Juneau. And from the deck of our cruise ship, we'll get to see the glorious coastline as we glide through the inside passage. We'll enjoy worship times together with Christian music artist Rebecca St. James and Michael O'Brien. We'll laugh with comedian Dennis Swanberg, and we'll open God's Word together as well. Now, space is becoming very limited, so be sure to go to ptv.org, check out the details, and most importantly, reserve your spot on the PTV Cruise to Alaska, June 15th through 22nd. On October 7th, when the news broke that Israel had been attacked, it wasn't long before people started asking me the natural question, Pastor Jeffress, are we living in the end times? And so I immediately altered my preaching schedule so that I could adequately address this compelling question. The result is a brand new teaching series that we're featuring right now on Pathway to Victory. I've also written a book also titled, Are We Living in the End Times? And until Friday, you're invited to request your copy when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. The book, again, is called, Are We Living in the End Times? More about my book and other resources will come after my message. But right now, I want you to hear this urgent presentation that I also titled with a question. What is the difference between the rapture and the second coming in the end times? In January of 1961, just a few days before his inauguration, President-elect John F. Kennedy decided to spend a few days relaxing at the family compound in Florida. He invited evangelist Billy Graham to join him for a round of golf. Now, that invitation surprised a lot of people because of Kennedy's well-known dislike for the famous evangelist. 
After they had finished playing golf, they got in the car, headed back to the compound, and Kennedy pulled the car over to the side of the road. He stopped the engine. He looked at Billy and said, Billy, do you believe Jesus Christ is coming back to earth one day? Billy said, I certainly do. Then Kennedy asked, why do I hear so little about it today? The fact that Jesus is coming back today is one of the best-kept secrets in this world and in many churches. A lot of churches don't talk about the second coming of Christ, but make no mistake about it, Jesus is coming back again one day to reclaim this world, to reward the righteous, and to judge the unrighteous. It is the most important event in human history. And yet, even among Christians who believe that Christ is coming back, there's a lot of confusion today about the second coming of Jesus and an event that happened seven years before that, the rapture of the church. And so today, as we continue our study, Are We Living in the End Times?, we're going to look at the differences between the rapture and the second coming of Jesus and what they mean to each of us who are believers. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's look, first of all, at the rapture of the church. We began looking at it last time. The most uh, extensive description of the rapture is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Look at verses 16 and 17. Paul writes, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. The Bible says there are four components of the rapture. First of all, the descent of Christ. The Lord descends from the heavens at the rapture. And by the way, this could happen at any moment. This event is next on God's prophetic timeline. There are no signs that have to be fulfilled for the rapture to happen. It could happen next week. It could happen before we have lunch today. It could happen at any moment. When unannounced, the Lord appears and the trumpet sounds, he will descend from heaven. Secondly, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Who are the dead in Christ? It is every believer who has died since the time the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2. Now, get this. When a Christian dies, he goes immediately into the presence of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. His spirit, the real part of him, goes to be with the Lord, but his body, that temporary dwelling place, Paul calls it a tent, that is put into the ground or in somebody's urn above the fireplace, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It's not the person, it's his body. It's the cocoon that's left behind. It is buried, it is disposed of, it's cremated. doesn't matter. It's the body that is left behind. And one day, that body is going to be raised and it's going to be changed. So, Paul said, the Lord descends, the dead in Christ, all Christians' bodies are raised, and then it says, we who are alive and remain, 
That is, a generation of Christians who will never experience death, like Enoch and Elijah, they'll be walking one day on earth with the Lord, and they'll next day be in heaven in an instant, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air. People say, well, the word rapture is something you made up. It's not in the Bible. No, it is in the Bible. That's what the word caught together, caught up together with him in the clouds. Caught up is the Greek word arpazo. It means to snatch away. The Lord descends. The bodies of dead believers are raised. We who are alive and remain, if we're alive at that time, will caught up, be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And the fourth aspect of the rapture is what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 53. And we shall all be changed. Paul said, we're all not going to die. There'll be a generation of Christians that escape death, but we will all be changed. All of us are going to get a brand new body, a body free from the sin, the suffering, the sickness of this life, a brand new body that's meant for eternity. And it will happen, Paul said, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. That is the rapture of the church. It's something that's very biblical, and it is the next event on God's prophetic timetable. Now, not all Christians agree on the timing of the rapture when it occurs. And that's all right. I think we ought to give people the freedom to be wrong. You know, to me, that's what tolerance is. You're right to be wrong. Uh, you, people have the right to be wrong about the rapture. There are some Christians who believe in what we call the post-tribulation rapture. Instead of occurring before the tribulation, they want to move that upward error to the end of the tribulation. They believe Christians will go through that final seven-year period called the Great Tribulation. That's the post-tribulation rapture. Some Christians say, let's split the difference. We'll be mid-tribulation rapturous. That is, they believe Christians will be here for the first three and a half years of the tribulation, and then they will be caught up uh, before the final three and a half years. So the post-tribulation view says it's after the tribulation. The mid-tribulation view says it's halfway in between. But there are other Christians like myself who believe the Bible proclaims a pre-tribulation uh, rapture. We will be caught up before the final seven years of Earth's history. Why do I believe that so fervently? Let me give you three reasons for a pre-tribulation rapture. First of all, the promise of God. You know, I've had people say to me through the years, oh, you, you pre-tribulation rapturists, you're just trying to get out of this world easily. You're trying to escape all tribulation. No, not at all. Jesus made a promise to us. He said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have what? Tribulation. Look, there is no promise of escape from suffering. There's every promise that we'll experience suffering. That's been the story of the church for 2,000 years. The church right now is suffering around the world. Christians are being executed for their faith in Christ. We've escaped that in America for a while. I don't think we'll escape it forever. But God promises we will experience the wrath of man for our faith. But ladies and gentlemen, one thing we never have to worry about is the wrath of God. See, what is unique about these final seven years of Earth's history is the world will not just experience the wrath of man, 
they will experience the wrath of God. And Christians have been promised exemption from the wrath of God. Think about it in the Bible. Noah escaped the wrath of God through the flood, through the ark God provided. Lot escaped the fire and brimstone of Sodom and Gomorrah. And believers are going to escape the great wrath of God that is poured out during the tribulation. Just jot down these Scripture passages. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 10. Paul writes, "...to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead." That is, Jesus, who rescues us from the what? The wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. "...for God has not destined us for what? Wrath. That's not His plan for us, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ." And if that were not enough, Listen to Jesus' promise in Revelation 3, verse 10, primarily to the church of Philadelphia, but to a larger audience that I think includes you and me. Jesus promised, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is to come upon the whole world. He wasn't talking about localized uh, tribulation for the church of Philadelphia. He was saying to the church at large, church, I'm going to deliver you one day from the testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. So, the promise of God is a promise that we will escape the wrath of God. Second reason I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture is the absence of the church in Revelation 6 through 18. Now, the church, the body of Christ, is prominent in the book of Revelation. You find it in chapters 1 through 5. In chapters 1 to 3, it's the church on earth. The book was addressed to seven churches in Asia Minor. And then in chapters 4 and 5, you see the church in heaven. I think the rapture occurs between chapters 3 and 4 of Revelation. Because in chapter 4, suddenly the church is around the throne praising God. But then in chapter 6 of Revelation, what happens? John begins to describe the seven years of the great tribulation. He describes the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments. He describes all of the things that happen to the environment, the destruction of the seas and of plant life. He describes the fire and brimstone, judgment from God. All of that is described in chapter 6 through 18. And guess what? You don't find the church mentioned one time. Now, it is strange that John would talk about the church in chapters 1 to 5. He talks about the church again in chapter 19 with the second coming of Christ. But he is silent about the church. Why is there no mention of the church during what is happening on the earth during the great tribulation? Easy. The church isn't here. That's why John doesn't talk about it. He looked around at everything that was happening, and there was no sign of the church anywhere. That's another strong piece of evidence for the pre-tribulation rapture. But I think the strongest evidence for the pre-tribulation rapture is the third reason, and that is the purpose of the tribulation. Why does God send this horrible judgment on the earth? There are two purposes given for the great tribulation. First of all, the salvation of Israel. Remember Daniel's clock, 490 years, 483 of them have already passed. There's one final seven-year period left on God's clock to deal with Israel. And God's primary desire for Israel is that Israel be saved. May I say right now, during the midst of this horrible atrocity that's been committed against Israel, we want to pray for Israel's physical protection, but her greatest need 
Israel's greatest need is salvation through Jesus Christ. And we ought to pray for Israel, but let's pray for Israel. Salvation, that's what's on the heart of God, that Israel would come to know Christ as Savior. And God will use this tribulation period to bring many Jewish people to faith. And interestingly, it will happen because of the witness of 144,000 Jewish evangelists who are saved at the beginning of the tribulation, and they're sealed, and they proclaim the gospel. Now, the purpose is the salvation of Israel. Does the church need to obtain salvation? No. The church is already saved. So there's no purpose in a tribulation producing salvation for those who already have it. The second purpose of the tribulation is the condemnation of unbelievers. This is the time in earth's history when God finally pours out his wrath on those who have rebelled against him. And guess what? The church is exempt from that punishment, that wrath. In Romans 8 verse 1, Paul said, therefore there is now no condemnation awaiting those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because of what Christ did for us, he took the wrath, the punishment that we deserve. We sing it in that hymn, for on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. He took the punishment for us. I remember reading the story about a group of cowboys who were out on a prairie when suddenly one of those prairie fires erupted and started heading toward them. They began to panic. They didn't know what to do. And one of the cowboys said, quick, let's light a fire and burn the grass around us. The other men thought he had lost his mind. Why would you start a fire around you when a fire is raging toward you? And he added, the fire cannot come where it's already been. The fire cannot come where it has already been. The fire of God's judgment has already come on Jesus Christ, and that's why I never have to fear it again. There is therefore now no condemnation awaiting those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's why I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. Now, after the rapture of the church, then begins the great final seven years of earth's history, the period we call the great tribulation. Now, Daniel 9, 24 to 27 says, the countdown, those final seven years, begins when the Antichrist, the world leader, signs a peace treaty with Israel. We don't know how much time there is between the rapture of the church and the great tribulation beginning, that peace treaty. Isn't it interesting that the Antichrist rises to power without any force at all. He has a bow, but has no arrow in it. People gladly, countries, nations gladly acquiesce to his leadership because of what he was able to do in the Middle East. The whole basis for his rise to power is something that is happening in the Middle East. It has always been the focus of history, and it will be in the end times. Now, this is just my conjecture. But I think part of the turmoil that will cause people to voluntarily turn to the Antichrist will be turmoil that is caused by the rapture of the church. Just think what will happen when millions of people, men, women, and children, suddenly disappear. They're gone. Think of the chaos that will cause in our power grid, in our government, 
in our transportation and food system. There will be great turmoil as people try to recover from this loss of millions and millions of lives. And I think against that turmoil is how the Antichrist rises to power. He starts with a peace treaty with Israel. The first three and a half years are relatively peaceful of the tribulation, but halfway through that seven years, Daniel says, he turns his back on Israel. He breaks the peace covenant. He instigates a war against the Jewish people and against Christians who are being converted during that time. The world forces, tired of his dictatorship, decide to try to topple the Antichrist. They meet for battle at the plain of Megiddo. Many of us have been there before. Napoleon said it's the most natural battlefield in all the world. The world forces are lined up to do battle with Antichrist when suddenly the clouds part, the trumpet sounds, and the Lord Jesus Christ appears along with his armies, which we'll see in a moment, are you and I. That's the second coming of Jesus. Let me mention four reasons why a literal, visible second com coming of Christ is important. First of all, a second coming is necessary to fulfill the prophecies of Scripture. Did you know there are 1,800 prophecies in the Old Testament about the second coming of Christ? Not the first coming at Bethlehem, 1,800 prophecies about the second coming of Christ in his kingdom. In fact, for every one prophecy about his first coming at Bethlehem, there are eight about his second coming. Uh, 25 out of 27 books in the New Testament deal with the second coming of Christ or some aspect of it. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament is about the second coming. It is the theme of the New Testament. And if, those, if Christ doesn't come back, then all of those prophecies go unfulfilled, and really you can't trust Scripture at all. Secondly, a second coming is necessary to judge unbelievers for their sin. If Christ doesn't come back, then sin and wickedness will increase and will intensify. Thirdly, Christ's second coming is necessary to depose Satan from his earthly dominion. Make no mistake about it. Jesus was right when he said, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Paul was right when he called Satan the god of this age. Satan is in temporary control of what is happening in this world right now. But the key word is temporary. Now, if Christ doesn't come back, and topple Satan. If God simply says, you know, Satan, you wanted the earth so badly, you keep it and I'll keep heaven and we'll just stay in our own corners. Do you think God's going to do that? God is lost if that happens. No, God is coming back to reclaim and remake the world that has been lost. And finally, Christ's second coming is necessary to establish God's kingdom on earth. Remember the Abrahamic covenant we looked at a couple of weeks ago? God made an unconditional eternal promise to Abraham and his believing descendants. The promise was, first of all, I'm going to give you a land. And he outlined exactly what that land was. Today, Israel is dwelling in a part of that land, but they're not dwelling in all of the land. But one day they will. One day they will. There's much more I want to share with you on today's topic. Please keep listening to Pathway to Victory so that you can hear my complete answer to this important question. What is the difference between the rapture and the second coming in the end times? 
With only a few minutes remaining on today's program, it's important to remind you that time is running out to request my book that I've written for you. Back in October, when Hamas provoked a war against Israel, I decided to fast-track a book and a teaching series for the Pathway to Victory audience. Both my book and teaching series are called, Are We Living in the End Times? Well, my book has already become a national bestseller because people are curious to learn more about God's timeline for the future. For just a few more days, you're invited to request your copy of this book on Bible prophecy. The deadline is Friday. You may have seen my new book featured on Fox News or other national outlets. When you support the ministry of Pathway to Victory with a generous gift, I'll make sure a copy is sent to your home. Again, it's called, Are We Living in the End Times? Behind the scenes at Pathway to Victory, our staff has been praying that God would raise up 1,200 new monthly supporters. We call these generous people Pathway Partners. A Pathway Partner is someone who resonates with our mission to pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word. As an expression of their commitment to this cause, our Pathway Partners agree to give a monthly gift to Pathway to Victory in the amount of their choosing. So here's the question. Is God prompting you to step forward as a Pathway Partner? If so, please get in touch today and take this extra step. I'd love to welcome you to our family of Pathway Partners. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. You too can become a Pathway Partner by following the easy steps online at ptv.org or call us 866-999-2965. Now, when you give your first monthly gift or when you give a generous one-time gift in support of Pathway to Victory, you're invited to request the brand new book by Dr. Robert Jeffress, Are We Living in the End Times? Now, when you give $75 or more, you'll also receive the complete collection of audio and video discs for the Are We Living in the End Times teaching series. Plus, we'll also send you the End Times Illustrated, a beautiful full-color illustrated 72-page book. Call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You could also write to us if you'd like. P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you back next time for Part 2 of the message, What is the Difference Between the Rapture and the Second Coming in the End Times? That's Wednesday, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. You made it to the end of today's podcast from Pathway to Victory, and we're so glad you're here. Pathway to Victory relies on the generosity of loyal listeners like you to make this podcast possible. One of the most impactful ways you can give is by becoming a Pathway Partner. Your monthly gift will empower Pathway to Victory to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and help others become rooted more firmly in His Word. To become a Pathway Partner, go to ptv.org podcast and click on the Donate button or follow the link in our show notes. We hope you've been blessed by today's podcast from Pathway to Victory.